Welcome to Liverpool Adventures, a new season, new possibilities. I am in Hotel Tia with two really creative guys in their uh, own fields. We've got the forever creative footballer David Fairclough back. How are you doing, David? I'm fine, Ragnald, yeah. Hope you're all well, yeah. Not bad, thank you. for a nice summer away. How was your summer? Uh, Quiet, I think. Uh, I've been very much tied to home. I haven't been very far. A lot of my summer's been revolving around playing golf, I think, and uh, and uh, clearing out some some properties. I can see that on your tan. You don't no. often see David Fairclough with a tan, but he has got a golf tan, everyone. Mm, it is very much a golf tan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so nothing on the chest, but lots on the legs and, and, uh, and the forehead. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> And then we've got someone else here. He has also got a nice summer tan. Paul Curtis, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for inviting me in. It's nice to have you. Paul, uh, first time I saw your work, um, it was in Jamaica Street, which was what I would say the first street in Liverpool that really sort of claimed the street art in the city. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, the wings were my were my personal first piece um, in the street. Yeah, um, so that was kind of what got me going, um, allowed me to work in street art. But yeah, I mean, I think before I did it, there were a couple of pieces of street art around Liverpool. There wasn't much. And yeah, there did seem to be a boom from that point onwards. Um, so yeah, it got me going and probably other people got into the got into the street art game when they saw it, maybe. Everyone embraced embraced it. I mean, my, my mom, she's 82 and her profile picture on Facebook is with your wings. Yeah, and I she mean, lives in Norway. And, and these profile pictures are everywhere. You know, everyone's taking a picture with those wings. It's such a brilliant way of using street art to attract, like, ownership from people, isn't it? Like, the way you did them. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people still owe me a pound for their photograph, which I've never received. So. <gasps> Dear, I, I, I need to pay you at least yeah. 10. <laughs> no, no, I mean... It, it was kind of clever in a way because I I was out of work and that's one of the reasons I did it. Um, it's a long story, but basically I thought this is the route I might go down, but how do you promote yourself? So that was kind of the idea. Um, but it promotes the city and people got the photo there and they, they, have, they have a bit of fun when they take the photo. But as a big positive to me, it ended up getting me work. So that's how I was able to turn professional. So... Thank you to everyone who has taken the photo there. Wow, you really did spread your wings and fly as, as an artist after that. But tell us about you. You are a local lad. You're obviously a big red. That's why you are on this show. Uh, how did you get into painting and being creative? Well, um, I used to work in the oil and gas industry. So I lived up in Scotland for 12 years. Then I worked in London for four or five years. Uh, then I got made redundant. Um, so... That's kind of how I got into art because I was working in such a specialised role and there was a decline in the industry that I just couldn't get back into it. So but what basically happened, to cut a long short, story short, is I painted a, a woodland scene in my niece's bedroom with like Bambi and Bambi's friends. Um, stuck a few photos on my Facebook and people suggested like, well, you may have a bit of a talent there. So I kind of started toying with the idea of being an artist and gradually it kind of more and more became okay that there is something serious in that and yeah wow so it just started off with you playing on that one wall you didn't have like a big passion of drawing when you were little or i I liked it but to say i had a passion would probably be strong um i knew i was okay at it hence why i did my niece's bedroom but i didn't think i was good enough to do it as a job um but then i guess you know i look back at the early pieces and i can see mistakes in it but been doing it what six years now and it's like as I say to my friends it's that 10,000 hours thing it's like well I've done that now so so I, I'm a little bit more confident in what I do now yeah isn't that incredible David how you just just do something nice for your niece and it mm. kicks off a new career yeah it uh, just shows you what uh, what talents are hiding under uh, under people's personalities I wish <laughs> I'd been a de- decent dra- a good drawer you know an artist I wish I'd been uh, a good didn't, footballer didn't, <laughs> didn't sort of uh, filter I used to uh, marvel at some of the kids I was at school with who were great at doing different things and uh, yeah never able to do uh, to no it is it's a great ability to have it is uh, that's something to uh, to enjoy yeah. 
Well, you know, when I got made redundant, and anyone who's been made redundant, they know it's hard. And you see other people say, oh, do this, do that. Um, and it's easy for the people who farm work again to give out this advice. Mm. But it's kind of true. As long as you're doing something, as long as you keep them busy, that's basically how I found this because it was, I just did it to keep myself busy. So come out of it, yeah. And when was your first commission artwork then? How long did that take from the Bambi to that? Yeah, so it's difficult. You don't really know what to do. So I kind of went cold calling around restaurants and what I would go in and do is I'd take photos without them knowing. And then I'd go back with designs because I thought if they could visualize it, I'm more likely to get work. So I got a little bit of work from that, but it wasn't very well paid. And then, yeah, it was like, that's when I was like, I need to do something in public. To, to get my name out there and that's when the wings happened yeah and then it it got a lot easier after that with that way <laughs> what was your first Liverpool football club piece that you did so the first piece I did for Liverpool um, I'm trying to remember now I think it was actually next door <laughs> Ooh. yeah um, in Hotel Anfield yeah there's a there's one in the garden there of Carragher and Gerrard with the European Cup um, and then I got a few small pieces, but the first outdoor piece was the by the old barn pub, Henderson and Hansen. Um, yeah, which I did that for very little money just because I wanted to do I was really wanting to do a Liverpool one because I hadn't had the chance to. So um, that was my first one, yeah. And then I've done a few since then, but they've all been private commissions, yeah. Tell us which else you've done. Which else can we go and admire that you've done? So the most recent one was Missy Bowcairns, which is just across the road from where we're sitting. Um, That's a beautiful one. I've, yeah, it's come out okay. And she come down and signed it. It was nice to meet her. And that she, she's like a hero to my niece now because my niece got to meet her. Um, and then I think the most well-known one is the Anne Williams one that I've done, um, which that meant a lot to me. And I think it means a lot to the fans as well because... I mean, as much as I'm for all the players being celebrated, the, the players do kind of get celebrated anyway. But she, you know, with her involvement with Hillsborough and the struggle that she fought, not just her, but a lot of the families, but it was good to recognise that. Um, so I think that was an important piece um, and it was nice to do, shall we say, um, one of the public, you know, that's linked to the club. And then... I think the only the other ones I've done on the street was um, Kenny Dagley's on Oakfield Road. Um, I might be forgetting some here, but <laughs> that happens sometimes, yeah. yeah. With the Anne Williams one, which you can find along Anfield Road on the opposite end of Anfield Road from Hotel Tia, uh, it must have been so emotional on the day too when you... Do you say reveal a mural as well? Is yeah, that what well, you called it? What was um, interesting about it was the guy who... The guy who um, commissioned it he he knows her daughter Sarah he's a friend of hers um, so it's his property so he asked me to do it and I did it and by chance they were making the documentary about her um, with um, Maxine P and um, which was a very strong one it was, it was yeah and it was really oh, good I cried and cried so the two sort of unknown timed well together so she actually came down for the unveiling um, and Sarah, Anne's daughter, came down as well. So it's difficult when you do a mural um, uh, because, or, or, I mean, a portrait, because you're always nervous. How, will the people like it? And especially for someone who's passed away and his, the loved ones turn up, so you're really nervous about that. But the do- her daughter really liked it. Um, and, you know, it was kind of a bonus that it, it worked out with this documentary because it, 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 I think we all remember, well, certainly my age group and the people older than me all remember um, Hillsborough. I think I was 10 at the time. Um, but it's amazing how much it's kind of like the, the younger generations have sort of forgotten about it. And then beyond Liverpool, it's kind of lost a little bit. So I think with the mural and the TV show, it was nice to get sort of the truth back out there you know there's unfortunately been a lot of false truths that have sort of made their way into social media over the years so it was nice to sort of like get back to the real story yeah yeah Paul there's a lot of murals now around I feel like you're one of the 
in a way, one of the pioneers in, in Liverpool city centre. Can you can you can you call yourself one of the pioneers of, of the street walls of Liverpool, or is that pushing it too far? Well, it's a bit big-headed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I can I call you that? <laughs> I guess. I mean, I actually think, given the size of the city of Liverpool and the um, Liverpool's cultural background. But we were actually late to the party um, on street art. You go to a lot of other cities, they've been doing it for years. So it's actually quite surprising that by the time I started doing it, there was hardly any about. Um, and even when I did the wings, I didn't know this is what I was going to do as a career. I just thought this is something I'll, I'll do until a better job comes along. But as it was, it picked up. And I was surprised how, many, how much demand there is. Because um, it's not just obviously the street art, it's, you know, in bars, restaurants, schools, I even do, and all kinds of work for TV and films. So it kind of opened my eyes because I, I was stepping into the unknown. Um, so I don't know, I think people were out there doing it, but I, I, because the wings became such this explosion, it kind of opened a lot of doors, not just for me, but I think generally for street art in Liverpool. It's gone from hardly any. I remember Banksy. Remember the Banksy, the the, the airplane that was um, yeah. just behind mm, yeah, um, down, yeah, off, um, Pig and Whistle by the Pig and Whistle, and yeah. just across the road, oh. really, from from uh, Twenty Chapel Street and the administration yeah. in in Liverpool. That yeah. that little parking lot there, by um, uh, by. Um, oh, the the place that's got beautiful weddings, the Racket Club. Yeah. 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 Have you seen that? It was like this this flight yeah, that flew it, like yeah, a little yeah. heart. Yeah. Uh, one race, yeah, and then it just yeah. I can't yeah, believe how it went. Yeah, this cat on the the cat was in the um, uh, what was that? Berry Street. No, the, the the big rat was it? It was a rat. Was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Because that's his signature, isn't it? But yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, they all disappear. It's I know. Kind of, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, down the other week, never. I thought it was still there. Is it gone? Is it now? No, it's gone. Um, if you get a Banksy on your house, yeah, it's kind of yeah, like, yeah. It, it makes financial sense to take the whole wall down and yeah. sell the wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you're right though, Liverpool was slow to the, to the party. You go around Europe and you see an awful lot of, and obviously what happened in likes of Belfast many years yeah, ago, yeah. the decorations of, of walls and things. But there has been an explosion in the last few years. Yeah, yeah. especially and, uh, Anfield. It did come with like the walls and the Jürgen... Um, the Jürgen one, which was down to yeah. Street yeah, as well. That's, Street, that's yeah. a good one, yeah. Yeah. yeah I think the quality's got better, but from the Belfast days, you see the ones in the 80s, they, they, they weren't no, artistically they weren't the great, good, no, no, very no. good. Um, but I actually think that's down to technology. Like, we can, mm. people didn't have camera phones and laptops, mm. so you can take photos and that and, you know, check things that, are, that it's going well, um, which they couldn't do. Because no, so. now you project the wall don't you a lot of people do projections art, um, no just because you just don't get projectors strong enough to work in the daylight um, mm. you know if i'm working in a, a dingy nightclub and yeah. you know you've got to be in there and out then yeah i will use a projector just to get ahead of the game yeah um, but outdoors can't really use a projector no so you've got to be good really good at, at painting basically yeah but as i always say to people that i mean people comment on my work um and they say, oh, you're great at this, great at that. And it's like, but it's because my work's visible. Mm. There's millions of people who go to work every day and do a great job mm. and don't get a pat on the back because it's not on social media and things like that. So it's just I happen to have a skill for something that's visible. In Anfield, though, uh, guys, there's a lot of street art now. It's, it's, it's been like... 10 times doubling, you know, every time you blink, there's a new piece in Anfield yeah. now. Um, and we even do mural walks from Hotel Tia um, for guests and, and, and tourists who wants to, to go with the local and, and see all the art uh, because there's that many and, and people need help sort of to navigate and find them all. Can it be too much street art at some point or? It depends on who you ask, isn't it? Because I have, yeah. I have seen comments along that line, um, but then you see Cohen saying more the merrier. Um, so it's like anything, isn't it? It's, is there too much football on TV? If you're not a fan of football, you're going to say yes. But if you love football, you'll say, I just want more. So, yeah, I mean, I think the problem is more quality. If I mean, I'm not having to dig anyone's way, but if, if the quality starts to dip, then it's like, then you can see why people would start not to like it. Um, so I think it's the standard needs to be kept high. Um, but if they are poor quality, 
they tend to disappear within a few years to get painted over. So, <laughs> but it is really bringing some color to Anfield, though. This is this is your old neighborhood. Walking around now, seeing you know present and past mm. um, on the wall. David, what is it like? Well, obviously, down the years, Anfield, you know, has had mixed uh, uh, sort of uh, a mixed time in terms of, uh, you know, it went down down the hill a little bit. It, 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 looked, it was very poorly uh, supported, and uh, so it's spread it's spread new life. I mean, in recent years, people have sort of taken a bit more pride in their um, in the houses and 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 the areas as, as sort of. Uh, has boomed slightly. It's oh, been yeah. through a very tough uh, period where it really, you know, did become a poor area to to wander around. So it's live in the, you know, the, the gen in general, the the area has become, you know, much more pleasant. And and on some walls, they they do certainly add something to the uh, to the flavour. Obviously, so much of Anfield, it, it the area of Anfield relates to. To football, so it's exactly. sort of dressing up the uh, the environment to, to reflect that. It is also creating, um, well, creating Anfield as a tourist attraction outside of the matches as well. And, and this this area deserves a lot more visitors, a lot more people coming in outside of the football as well. I yeah, think. Yeah, well, it's not just me that says says this. It's um, speaking to some of the other local artists who've done um, Liverpool murals. It's one of the the upsides is that in the past, I mean, Anfield has had the, the tour for a long time, but people used to get the taxi to Anfield, get out, do the tour, back into a taxi, mm. back into town. Mm. Now they're actually staying and mm. they're wandering around, having a look at some of these paintings, getting photos, you know, and they might spend a little bit of money outside of the club as well, you know, in local shops, local pubs. But exactly. But it's a more pleasanter uh, area to, to wander. A couple, few years ago, it was, you know, looking yeah. upon as being a bit sort of like... You know, no reason to get out of a taxi other than just to go into the ground and stuff. You know, it's had a it's had a checkered yeah, uh, it's had a checkered reputation really. Yeah, I think. and I think you know, not just Anfield, with street art across the country, it tends to be areas that accept it or the shall we say the the more deprived areas because mm. you know they're not going to get on the high horse about street art because they've got other problems. Um, but what you tend to find is those areas start becoming more fashionable. Yeah. I'm not saying it's just the street art, but it's certainly a sort of catalyst that's mm. on redevelopment terms is actually really cheap. Yeah, know? yeah, that's sort of that's sort of flavour, and uh, as you, you know, kind of, I think, yeah, as you say that, Paul. I mean, I think of areas of London that are, you know, yeah, like the East End, the East End, and. Um, and, and, and yeah, some of the areas have been become quite trendy and sort of thing. Yeah, and that, that has been a part of very yeah, much exactly. decorating the the environment has become a big part of that. And color is never wrong. Paul, how did you become a red? Was it something you were born into, <laughs> or did you convert yourself out of a blue family? Or what, what's your story with the the reds? So I would say my first memories of football. You know, you start. Um, recognizing that this is a big thing um it would have been about 84 85 so you know that was a good time for the city basically both clubs were doing well at this time um so my dad was actually evertonian see i knew there was some color in, in the mix <laughs> so it's like well why are you not an evertonian but all of my mum's family uh, my dad was an only child but all of my mum's family were liverpoolians um and I remember as a kid, not knowing which way to go, and they'd go. My dad was an Evertonian, but he wasn't a crazy Evertonian. He wasn't going to the game every week. He just passively followed the football. Whereas when I'd go to my grandfather's house, my mum's dad, he was a he was a strong red, and he used to just stop me on the doorstep and say like, "Who do you support?" And I could only get into the house if I said Liverpool. <laughs> so I love that. So that's kind of how it developed, and then yeah, but. My strongest memory of first success for Liverpool was the 86 um, Cup final. And, like, that was, you know, um, watching that was a great game. And I, I, was, I was a Liverpool fan at that point, but that's, like, I reckon that just kind of, like, drove it home and said, made me decide that's who I was going to follow. Yeah, that wasn't a bad game, that one. 
Yeah, it was all right. I was there. It was Wembley, wasn't it? The yeah, um, the Liverpool eleven final, and um, I'd been away for uh, two or three years in the mid eighties, so I kind of lost. Uh, I have no real memory of what happened in eighty four, and you know, I can't. <laughs> I can't even think what happened in eighty in eighty four. Well, the, it was the European Cup final in Rome, wasn't it? But I mean, yeah. I was playing in Switzerland then, so I was much more concerned in my career rather than. Than Liverpool's, yeah. Yeah, um, how much how much of, of your time does the Reds uh, occupy now for you, Paul? Quite a lot. I mean, uh, I obviously am a fan. I go to the game um, not every week, but I'm able to get to like say one and three of the games. Um, so I love going to the game. I think as you get older, you get sort of it's not less passionate, but you get more realistic. You know, so you you're not as you're not as hurt by the loss. Um, you, you tend to be less knee-jerk, shall we put it. Um, so you watch it with more sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not like, not less biased, but it's more like with a level head. Mm. So I love it, um, but I do see it as like, it's it's an entertainment form. It's, it's Don't let it upset you, upset you too much if you don't get the result. You know, last season was a bit frustrating. And a lot of people were saying daft things online about how much of a crisis it was. And it was like, you know, football changes a lot in a short time, in relatively short times. And I think this season we're starting to see that. So, you know, I think it was good that we weren't so knee-jerk. Um, so I love it. So, like, obviously it's part of my work now as well. Um, involvement with the club, involvement with Anfield area, um, doing the murals. Um, and even things like this, talking about it. But then obviously um, I, I, a lot of people might know that who follow me that I do a lot of work with Trammy as well. And then I've worked for other clubs like Marine and Bradford. Um, so football is a big part of my life, but it's also a big part of my work, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the transfer window. It's been shot. It's been a lot of drama with Saudi Arabia. I was holding my breath for uh, Mo Salah. Oh, yeah. I, I I almost thought it was going. Um, yeah, did anyone lose any sleep over that? Uh, no, I think as Paul mentioned, I don't lose sleep over football personally. But no. um, uh, you know, I watch with with interest naturally because we you know we're Liverpool fans and uh, the excitement of a new season. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, decision will be made. You know, wherever you wherever you think, and and had they put the money on the table, I, I think uh, you know, in, in from a business sense of, uh, of things, I, I think you know, you'd say, well, it's, at the end of the day, he's a footballer, and somebody if they wanted to pay 150 million pound cash or 200 million pound, well, you think, so, despite what you think about the thing, from a business decision. I think he probably would have gone. Um, Paul, that's a few murals, 200 million. Yeah, I'll be working, I'll be working for a few hundred years, I think. But <laughs> I don't know, I thought, I mean, I only listened to bits and bobs about what the actual fee was. And it was like, it seemed that there was a load of add-ons yeah. and clauses. And I was like, I'm not sure that that's serious with no. this bid. I think it's to sort of butter up for a, a bid next year. It's kind of mm. like, because they knew... Liverpool didn't have a chance to buy another striker, so that was one of the blocks. Um, so I don't know. I think I wouldn't be surprised if they come in next year and make a more sort of sensible offer. Mm. I think I don't. I mean, add-ons don't uh, you know equate to nothing, and, yeah. and 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 you're led to believe, you know, we only have the uh, press reports to go that the, the 100 million was talked about plus plus uh, add-ons. Well, as I say, add-ons. Uh, uh, you know, don't don't add up to much. So, if they, but I think if they'd gone a bit higher, I think uh, from Liverpool point of view, I think they would have found it very difficult to 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 refuse. Uh, but on a, on a on another note, I think um, the signings that we've made are, are, are great. I'm, I'm yeah. really looking. I'm, yeah. You know, from. But before from, we go there, though, I just want to ask you guys one more question that I was annoyed about was if the if if Saudi Arabia wants to, you know, play with the big leagues uh, and, and start pinching our best players, uh, which is the way I look at it. 
shouldn't they be on the same terms as us and have the same windows as us? I think them having annoying. a longer window is just not very nice because you can then come in and tempt these poor clubs who are struggling financially, but they won't have a replacement. Don't know why that uh, was actually uh, put in place, uh, that they were open for one more week. But I think we've seen in, in, in other years, you know, previously, the likes of South American teams... Russia, I think, uh, a few years ago had a, an in, a different sort of uh, deadline as well, um, and maybe in, in one or two, you know, one or two instances previously, we haven't been too worried about it because you know you thought, well, yeah. players aren't going to sort of naturally go to there. But this one, there was a little bit of jeopardy involved because you know the money that was being talked about. You thought, well, if they come in the last minute, then you know the, because of the cash, people are going to make strange decisions but it will ultimately be uh, all adjusted and um and whilst you know obviously some countries uh their their playing uh, their playing season is, is is different so it has to be you know there has to be a, a little bit of difference somewhere because you know we're not all playing the same months of the year uh, but couldn't they do it so that yeah, they can have that extra week, but it has to be, in, you know, within their country signings. They can't do international yeah. signings. Yeah, maybe. something like that. Yeah. I would have liked. It, that. It's, it's a can of worms. Uh, I mean, the Scandinavian season begins in sort of uh, March. March, yeah. So uh, you know, so they can't buy play. They've got to do all their business in January. Is it is it fair, for example, mm. that they then can't buy? Now there isn't the fear factor of Scandinavia because. As I say, money is the is the ultimate thing, but for somebody to leave the the, the gate open, so to speak, for for uh, a league like Saudi Arabia, it's potentially uh, quite dangerous. Uh, human nature being what it is, then people's heads will be turned by yeah. by finance and uh, you know these in, you know, incredible amounts of of money. But um, I had a funny at one point I thought to myself, and the thing is. I wondered why we never heard from Salah himself to say, you know, yeah, I'm not interested, and uh, and and that that kind of, you know, had me thinking, you know, maybe there's there's a chance that he's going to go. Um, I know people say, well, you put it in the hands of agents and all this type of thing, but at the end of the day, I think if the individual actually comes out and says, look, you know, I'm not interested in it, forget it, It'll, it can go away. Yeah. yeah. But. You know, it, there was too much sort of cloak and dagger stuff attached. Yeah, no, I think it was a bit stuff. sort of. Um, but I think Salah did say something before the bid, before he knew the bid that he wasn't going not anywhere. Pub did publicly? Yeah, yeah I think yeah. He, did he not release something before that bid come in? I think mm. he said he was staying with Liverpool. Um, mm. So I'd be, I don't know. I, I do. I, I think sometimes I think if they speak to the press, even if they say I'm not doing this, it kind of like opens a can of worms, and mm. maybe just thought I won't say anything on public. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I, don't. I, I think uh, I think for I think probably there'll be more you know fans thinking. Well, if you hear from the players' mouth, I mean, you had um, well you know Mr. Bosley coming out and saying he said he's staying, and one thing or another, Jurgen said, "Well, I've not heard him say that." So, uh, so so you did actually want him to to come about. I I think anyway yeah. uh, that would have if if there was uh, you know. Any any truth in it, but uh, it's gone now for the moment, and uh, the season is what it is. And um, yeah, it's been um, it, it's it's been kind of interesting. It, it is a it's a it's a fascinating progression in in, in football. Uh, I think to watch what's going yeah, to happen crazy, with it? Saudi Arabia. Yeah, no, it 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 is unbalanced to put it that way. Uh, before we praise all the great players we got, because we really did get some great players. Um, one position I was surprised we didn't do anything about was the the right back. Mm. Yeah. Thoughts? Um, I think I've said you know I've said this before in in times in years gone by. Um, you know I always thought of Liverpool when you've got the ball you all attack when you haven't got the ball you all defend. I'm not I'm not I don't buy into all this uh, buying you new methods of, of, of play and trying to be clever and, and one thing or another because pe people will ultimately find clever ways of, of sort of, of beating it, you know, your, 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 uh, your concept. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I'm a bit sceptic. I think if you're going to play with a back four, then you have a, you have a right back in and, you know, 
you're, oh, and a, and a left back, and you know you have defend, you know you have defenders. Alternatively, are you going to play with a three? Then play with a three, but uh, leave you sort of. Um, so it does get leave you exposed, I I think. But I'm old school, and uh, you know, seen as a, an old sort of, you know. Yeah, I do. I have I've thought for a while we've defensively we've looked light in terms of a squad. I mean, yeah. when we've got the first team out, it looks good. Mm. But in, in a couple of injuries at the back, it, we suddenly look quite light. Um, so and then certainly in the the preseason friendlies, I know you, you shouldn't really judge on that, but we were we were leaking goals left, mm. right, and centre, and it's. I was a bit worried. I mean, but so far this season, it seems to have not been an issue. Um, but then, you know, we seem to have gone from worrying about midfield to all of a sudden having, like, a glut of midfield wealth. Um, and if you think about it, if he eventually does move Trent into midfield, which we don't know, but, you know, that, that leaves the back loose again, but the midfield are even stronger. So, I don't know, but... It's easy to sit, sit here and make criticisms, but he seems to be getting it right. So you know, long may it continue. Yeah, it's been it's been a it's it's been an indifferent period. I mean, look, much to it, lots to enjoy um, mm. the early early weeks. Uh, but equally, the defence is a, is, a, is a little bit of a worry. And I su- you know, I suppose the the easiest way to say is that it's it's up to the midfield to as much as to attack that they, they have to give the the back line some protection and I think that's what we've been a little bit sort of lacking of I think mm. you know uh, you know uh, teams have been have found it too easy to to get you know into yeah. an attacking position onto our back line and uh, at that point you know uh, numbers and speed and all these different things come into you know how how teams then will cause you problems but um, you know hopefully this um, I know it's an international break but you know, by the time the, the, the break is over and then the, the games begin again, we'll develop a system whereby we'll look stronger in a, in a, in a sort of, you know, in a, in a conceding goals kind of sense. I mean, a couple of years ago, we, our, our defence was immaculate almost. Yeah. Uh, and, and we've gone from one, some one, way, one, to, one way of playing to, a, to another. And we have we have to praise the Villa game, how the midfield really gelled, you know. Um, Soboslai yeah. has just started brilliantly, hasn't he? McAllister is a leader as well. It's interesting to see how we've signed so many captains. You know, they are actually captain material, all of them. Soboslai, Endo, McAllister, they're all they're all captains of their countries or or their former teams. And I'm thinking that that brings me um my thoughts back to your time, David, you know, when all of you were captain material, you know, you, you were all given that. Well, I wouldn't have been. But, uh, <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? You know, you, you were all told to take the full responsibility, you know, and yeah. if, if the, the player next to you had a bad game, you would mm. then, you know, give that little extra. I, th- I think uh, for, for in, my, in, in my sort of experience, I think it, it, it's great to look around and see so many strong personalities yeah. and, uh, and obviously... I could wax lyrical about all the, the players I played with. But, I mean, if you played with, like, you know, Smith and Hughes, who were, you know, you know, huge, strong personalities in themselves, and they're surrounded by, you know, for want of sort of mention, the likes of Keegan and Callaghan and, and all that, they were all very strong individuals. And I think that's what you want from 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 a team. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, in the past we, we we've... Uh, we've heaped lots of responsibility on on one or two players uh, to lead the team. I yeah. think we've got we've gone into a period where potentially, yeah, as you say, uh, we've got lads who are all used to shouldering responsibility, have a way of sort of um, getting people behind them. You, you think that would speak, uh, you know, in, in a positive way uh, for, for us? Um, Zabozley, I mean. How old is he? Twenty-two. I mean, he's he looks. In, he looks like he's twenty-six, twenty-eight. Did you see the goal he scored now in the international break? In top oh, corner, yeah. long distance, unbelievable, mm. <laughs> incredible goal. So he's, he seems so. He's, he's so pumped up with confidence as well, mm. which doesn't hurt. Yeah. And he's very handsome. That doesn't hurt either. <laughs> <laughs> I normally don't say that about players, but he is very handsome. Yeah, yeah. he's uh, he, he's got he's got it all. Um, I think in the last couple of years, seeing um, Leipzig games and the uh, the Hungarian games, particularly against England, uh, 
he was always one who stood out for yeah. for different reasons. But now seeing him week in week out, um, he has so much to offer. I think he's going to be a massive uh, a massive star here. Uh, at the moment, he, he seems to be re- well. Hopefully, it's only the start of many many years. Because like you like to think he could be you know feature for Liverpool for for an awful long time. Uh, the fact that strange, I'll just drop this in. But uh, he, he's big mates with Haaland, Obviously, at the time it. Uh, and Haaland seems to play quite a role in him um, settling in England. They live close to each other and uh, and stuff like that. So, you know, hopefully, he, he, you know, he's feeling at home here. He looks like he's at home here. Yeah, well, which is which is great. Thing. Straight away, isn't he? Yeah. Can I ask you a question about? Um, so you say like when can you have you have a lot of leaders? Can you have too many leaders? I mean, with the like strong opinions that cause conflicts and things like that. Um, I think at times if. Um, uh, potentially, potentially that is a, a thing. I know there was always a a little bit of a rivalry between Emlyn and and Smithy, but because uh, they they were massive, they were massive characters. But I think in, in the um, you know you look at people like Phil Neal and Ray Clements and one thing, and once people sort of assume their position in the in the food chain kind of thing, I think then they're, they're an asset then to have to. To fall on, there might be one or two who might think, "Well, I want to be the, you know, the big, the big name, the the, the leader." And for the moment, the, you know, Van Dyke seems to be the the obvious. Yeah. Uh, in a, in, a, in a couple of years' time, you might, you know, that might sort of rear its head a little bit. But you'd like to think then everyone's bought into the the team ethic, and it's the team is bigger than the, uh, you know, the individual sort of aims and um, and ambitions. Talking about Van Dyke, though. The fact that he seems to have lost his head a little bit on that red card. Do you think that's a weakness or is that a strength as a captain? Um, is it a weakness? Um, it, it's not like he has too much of a casebook in, in terms of history of that. But it seems like being a captain is firing up. Calm oh, as you like, Virgil van Dijk. He wasn't very calm with that red card. Well, I think I think had the had it not been such a, a big game and featured on television and all that with all the cameras, you know, I mean, it, this it's nothing new to slow, you know, to to give the referee like a lot of stick for uh, you know if to get a red card or whatever. Was it a bit soft I mean. red or was it a red red? Uh, this this game, I mean, the old <laughs> days, and the I mean, I must admit when it happened, I thought first of all. Mm, you know, could potentially be a foul. Yeah. Didn't see the. Uh, he, he was going the, for the ball, wasn't he? Yeah, but you know, I suppose when as and has been said, and you watch it sort of like ten times, and it's been slowed down and all that. He, you know, he does touch. He does touch um, uh, Isaac's uh, leg before he actually makes contact with the ball. So mm. it, it, it is. It's a. It's a foul, but it's not. It's not sort of. I mean, then you apply all these new sorts of, uh, you know, the, these wonderful ways of judging, you know, uh, is he in on goal, is he this, is he that? I mean, and how, you you know, you do it at the speed that it's, it's all, you know, how you digest all the, the, the sort of the, um, let's say, the you know, jeopardy of, of sort of challenging somebody there. Last man and all that. Last man, speed of somebody else closing in, I don't know, you know, whatever. It's all, um, you know, uh, they're trying to, I don't know, almost create the perfect game. And, uh, I mean, it's... I think most... I think if they'd have just given a foul there, most people would have turned around and said... I, I agree, yeah. You know, it, it, you know, even at the stadium and, and what have you... Uh, with all these changes, most people have turned around and said, yeah, yellow card, okay, no one, forget it. But but this is where we get into the grey area, so it's, yeah. it's almost like both decisions could be correct. Yeah, yeah, so exactly, yeah. And when it's like that, you're going to get one set of fans who are screaming it's wrong and one set of fans are screaming it's right, because my mm. initial reaction was, no way, no mm. way is that mm. happening. And then I tried, to, I always try and be unbiased and say, well, if it happened the other way, how would it feel? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd agree, I'd say, well, if 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 it Newcastle if they'd been the op- opposite way round, I'd have said, Yeah, free kicks fair. Yeah. Um, if he'd the Newcastle player had been sent off, you're not gonna moan about it. Mm. So Newcastle fans aren't moaning about it, but I think I think if you'd have seen it on the day, but out all the T V cameras and one thing another, yeah, somebody got it. a yellow card, you said to yourself, 
okay, you know, you could have argued about it in the pub or whatever. Had he been sent off there, I think, later on, again in the pub, you'd have been saying, you know what, I think we got one there. I think we were a bit lucky there. Yeah. Didn't look like a red card to me. So you've got to digest it, and that's say, the way modern football has gone, for my mind, they're, they're trying to make it too clinical, too too precise, and it's, yeah. and it's not, I mean... Well, I was thinking, part of this is because the technology is or it should be the technology mm. itself is precise but mm. humans aren't yeah exactly and so with var and things like that it's not actually the technology getting it wrong it's the humans yeah um, and it's always been like that way in football which yeah. doesn't mean that's a good thing but it, you know it's that some rules like just a, a foul you can never have a, a definition of a foul at 100 percent right there's always going to be areas where Different refs on the day will give different decisions. Yeah. Um, so I mean that that's uh, that's partly a problem. I think that the you know no two referees really referee a game in exactly the same way. I mean the rules are it does leave one or two things open to to interpretation. Uh, but that's always been you know that that's the way it probably should be. And and, and this VAR and stuff like that is trying to sort of take that out. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, and and say, well, you know, by the letter of the law, da, 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 da. I mean, how many people really know the laws of the game? I mean, you used to know the laws of the game when there was only about 11 of them. And now there's, you know, yeah, God yeah. knows how many. Um, so it's, it's, it's sort of... Um, I mean, it, I, I don't think it's made it any better. I mean, I had a discussion with Sammy Lee the other week about VAR and, and stuff. Sammy's very much a supporter of VAR. I'm, I'm completely... That surprises me, actually. Com- yeah, it surprised me as yeah. well, actually. He was very strong cool about it. And I was... Um, but I suppose where, where I can defend his arguments is it depends who's actually uh, making the decision. And the yeah. fact that all these guys are... We, you know, we see them regularly refereeing and then the next week they're in bar and all that and they're, they're crap referees. So, you know, they're going to be poor sort of, of doing... So you have a, a VAR people and they only do... Var, you know, yeah. I mean, they're only, they're never, they're never out there on the field and one thing. I, but, you know, to to really, what's the name of it to wrap it? I I don't like Var. Full stop. Well, I think if you took it away, within a few weeks, you'd be calling for it back. That's the problem because a, a couple of decisions that are like howlers, you'd be like, mm. we've lost that game because of that. We should get VAR back. That's well, the problem. I mean, I suppose mm. if you re-refereed games from yesteryear, I mean, yeah, how much fun, you know, you think, oh, geez, the, history, the history of life would be changed. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, it, it, it's wrong, kind of, uh, from my point of view, when Zabozle hit that shot against Villa and it flies into the net now, we all jumped up and, oh, what a goal, what a goal. Next thing, you know, VAR is checking it for, yeah, you know, so something yeah. obscure. I mean, why? You know what I mean? And it does. It's that element, that that moment, just for me describes why we should get get rid of it because well, you know when it was brought in, and I might be wrong here, but when it was brought in, I thought they'd said it was for when a clear and obvious decision has been made incorrectly. Yeah. And if it was still used for that, it would be fine. But now, as you say, mm. we're using it for all these sort of like kind of nuanced. Uh, uh, fouls or whatever mm-hmm. it might be, sort of like tiny little rules that most some of yeah. us aren't even aware of that they're checking mm-hmm. on, and it's like, you know, it was meant to be used for clear and obvious. So mm-hmm. I don't know if a player's yeah. two yards offside and the ref misses that, then that's when it should be used. Well, yeah. well you know, like with the with the Zabazley goal, was, was Salah in the eye, you know, with the eye line of the goalie and all that type of stuff? Yeah, that's I mean, where we, you split. Now, you know, you got like fifty thousand people all saying it's a goal. I mean, even even Villa fans wouldn't have. I mean, you'd have had to have the eyes of of a hawk to to then come up and said, oh, God, you know, Salah was in the way of the uh, of, of whatever. Everybody thought that was a goal, and then you get told, checking, yeah, yeah checking, exactly. and all so, that. It's it's ruining it. Yeah. Really is, uh, really is ruining it. But Paul, we are now a few rounds in. Um, we are in top three. We only dropped two points. You know, our opening game against Chelsea away, where we drew. Um, what is your uh, look on this season? Is this a season where we can get Manchester City or will they be too strong? What's in your sort of... It's uh, tough, isn't it? <laughs> guessing bowl. I mean, so far, so good. So, I mean, it, yeah, I was I was actually a little bit disappointed that we didn't take more from the Chelsea game, but that's, you know, maybe I'm being a bit greedy there. Um, 
so if you'd have said to me at the start of the season this is where we'd be now I'd have taken it yeah it's it's going well um, it is a long season and there's a lot to come so I don't want to get too carried away um, have we got the squad to go up against City my head is telling me no I have to be honest but um, it is Liverpool and they do have this sort of mentality and when when everything starts coming together and when everything when we start hitting full steam it's like you know you see it so many times we might be two goals down and it, well perfect example was the Newcastle game oh, I have to be honest I, once, once Van Dijk went off I was like it's gone yeah. so to come back and get, get points from that that was like the classic Liverpool of old so that gets you excited it's like what well, how has this happened? So, you know, that might just be a real positive for the season going forward that the mindset of the players seems a lot different to last season. It's like it's like that Newcastle game woke them up because look at the passion they had against Villa. Well it could almost be a turning point mm. already yeah. if you like see a catalyst I mean. or something. I mean and it has been said to, you know, by a number of people since hopefully it didn't sort of it doesn't it doesn't completely cover the, the shortcomings and there are still shortcomings. We haven't got the perfect team or performance just yet, but they've they've been two impressive wins against Newcastle and Villa. And I've got people in around the country thinking, mm, hang on, Liverpool are in the uh, they're gonna be in the race. Um I think one one thing that the um, I mean I think Liverpool potentially are and, and my reason for thinking is I think if you're going to beat City you've got to play with a huge intensity yeah. throughout the whole season I don't really think Arsenal and Newcastle are actually geared up for that uh, personally I mean some people might argue that Arsenal maybe have got a, a certainly they're stronger than Newcastle I don't think Newcastle will be able to sort of hang out on you know keep the pressure going all season long I think ultimately I think they're gonna yeah, I think they will cave in a little bit personally uh, because to beat City you're gonna have to play with such a such a, a standard and a level and we, we achieved that two or three on three seasons probably um, and I think the because you're playing at Liverpool at the end of the day uh, the expectancy is massive more massive than anywhere else uh, Maybe Manchester United can rival it slightly, but um, the expectancy is is, is is very difficult for for players, and I think Liverpool players pick up on that. And I think for that reason, I do see us as a threat. That doesn't full, cover it completely, but also to play a part in it. Other teams have got to uh, lose this fear factor of City, and I think a couple of years ago when we won the league, particularly teams didn't automatically go out and play City and think we've lost here at the moment I think there's a little bit of that back I think people think City are invincible and, and they're ultimately going to win anyway a couple of years ago I sensed that it, that teams had a little bit of a go and, and took some points off them like Sir Crystal Palace went to went to the Etihad and that more teams Brighton I think would go there and have a, and have a go um, sometimes I think that there is that fear factor and that, that for me is going to be a part of um, determining the league because if City just play the you know free and easy they'll you know they're, they're, they're no doubt they're favourites and uh, it's going to take something special to beat them well, in that sense, the the emergence of teams like Arsenal and Newcastle, in a sense, is a good thing because they mm. will go to City and try and have a go, whereas Newcastle a couple of seasons ago. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I would sort of. I don't think that the threat is going to come from them, particularly Arsenal. I don't think I've got the. I think have they been to City already? Uh, well, they need okay. to. Uh, but they, but Arsenal will, will try and play two k. You know, will try and play two kg. I think the teams that can do them damage are the likes of a Brighton or. Oh yeah, maybe, you know, yeah. to go who who've got a style of play. Uh, and we'll, and and have some have some ability, you know. They'll, they'll take because they've got to lose, point, lose points at at, uh, at home, and, and when when sometimes they come to to places, um, I think equally teams after you know after lose this sort of were beaten already, and it, it, that did disappear a couple of years ago, but they, but unfortunately it struck up again. Um, you just hear, you know, even the, listen to the radio today, how people talk about Manchester City. It's too, too glowing. Uh, puts the fear of God into teams, I think. So it's gonna, uh, it's gonna take some help from other teams, and I think I wonder, uh, yeah, how many are gonna be up to that? 
I, I certainly don't think uh, Newcastle haven't got the... Uh, I'm not a Newcastle uh, supporter at all. And I think Villa, I mean, the win against Villa was, was great. Uh, but had Villa scored the first goal at Anfield the other week, the game could have been completely different. I mean, Villa are not going to go and attack team, so I can't see somebody like them going to City either. Because City, uh, Villa's aim, for me, is to frustrate and, and, and hit teams on the counter-attack. And teams that go and have a go at City are going to be teams that... Go for it. Do that, go yeah. for it, rather yeah. than sort of sit back and say, can we hang yeah. out and steal it? You know, uh, Villa, uh, I'm, not, I'm not really an advocate for, for Aston Villa either, actually. In the close future, though, Paul, um, what are your work coming up now? Where can we see your, your uh, street art in the, in the near future? Um, well, it's been a very busy summer, put it that way, um, despite the rain, which yeah, was a real pain in the backside for me. <sighs> Um, so I've got stuff coming up um, in some of it I can't really talk about because it needs to be confirmed but um, next one I'm doing is actually for the the Boy Scouts Association uh, but that's over in Wallasey and then I've got hopefully a couple of big ones coming up around the city centre um, of famous people but like I say I don't think the famous people know. They're not football related, but mm. I don't think they know that this is happening yet. So it's a bit hush hush for them. Exciting yeah. stuff. Yeah, 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 exciting. Yeah, brilliant. No, I think I haven't seen the uh, the Ray Clements mural uh, from start to to end. I mean, obviously the process is, you know, take some uh, take some doing. It's fascinating. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating uh, art. Brilliant that you can <laughs> do it. Yeah, I mean it's. Um, it's like anything. I mean, what, once you've done it a few times, you start to know the tricks and mm. how to do it faster. And yeah. yeah, how long does a wall take? So like I mean, obviously, side of a I terrace mean, house, like the longest here. one I did was uh, I did a li two lizards in Ainsdale on the side of uh, Toad Hall up there, mm. and that's the biggest painting in Britain. Um, oh wow! Yeah, and that <laughs> I was on that for uh, what was it, six weeks in total. Oh. Um, but like the Missy Bow one, which is like the end terrace, one player, uh, a bit of background and things like that. That was like four days, if I remember rightly. Four and a half days, depends on the weather, obviously. So you can do them relatively quick. I mean, when I watch TV and I see a portrait artist taking 30 days to do a canvas, I'm like, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, street art, you you don't have to have the minute detail as you would on the canvas um, mm. because people are viewing it from 10 metres away. Yeah. Um, so you can do it relatively quickly, yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to see all the work you are doing in the future. Uh, dear Paul Curtis, thank you so much for coming today. No, thanks for inviting me in. And thank you for colouring the city for yeah. us. <laughs> it's a pleasure. And as always, thank you so much uh, to you, David Fairclough. We will be back uh, next week, we hope. We never know with our podcast. They, 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 they hump away. Sometimes they are like uh, very intensively recorded and other times we have a little bit of a break as life happens. But yeah, hopefully we're back next week. And uh, my name is Ragenhild Lund Ansnes and I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast uh, with Liverpool Adventures. Take care. And uh, have a good international break.